You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 86. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. So just a little housekeeping before we get started today. If you've been following us for a little while, probably know us here at Touches Flavor as the ones who work with kinky non-monogamous folks and help them build better relationships. And that is true. That is what we do. That is what we do full time. But once a year, we do an event that has nothing to do with education. You could argue that it has something to do with building better relationships. And what I'm talking about is our kinky, sex-positive New Year's Eve party. Now, we've hosted this party in Baltimore every year for the last five years. It is always an amazing time. It's hosted at the Playhouse, which is the largest dungeon space on the East Coast. And like I said, not really a lot of education going on here, although we are going to have demos, but a lot of kinky, sexy New Year's Eve fun. So if that Sounds like something you might be interested in. You can go to atouchofflavor.com forward slash N-Y-E. That's atouchofflavor.com forward slash N-Y-E to get the details. Just to make doubly sure I mentioned it, that event is in Baltimore, so you need to be able to get here somehow in some fashion to enjoy it. But again, if you want to bring in your New Year's with a bang, I personally can't think of any better way to start a new year than at a kinky party, then atouchofflavor.com forward slash NYE and check out those details. So today we're talking to Stefano Sanchez, who you probably, if you spend any time at kink events, seen as educators at some point in time. And we're going to read their, their official bio in during the interview, but the topic that we're talking about today is pickup play. And that is going out to a party, to an event, Meeting somebody that you haven't played with before, picking them up, negotiating a scene, and having some fun play. We're going to dive deep into how to do that, what events it's easier to do pickup play at, exactly how to approach somebody on that, some tips for negotiating pickup play scenes, and generally we're just going to talk about how to do pickup play in a way that is fun and safe and how not to fuck it up. So Stefano Sanchez are a lot of fun. I think you'll really enjoy this interview. And without further ado, let's hop in. So today we're talking with Stefano Sanchez. They're a vivacious, unconventional DS couple whose entertaining, information-packed classes have been called Better Than a Vegas Act. Shea is the author of Tying and Flying, the first ever book on self-suspension. Stefanos is the CEO of uh, Bondage A Go Go and steward of the upper floor on kink.com. They identify as a pansexual polyamorous play sluts, uh, purveyors of perversion, 
and alliteration fetishists. In between traveling internationally to present and perform, they are based in San Francisco, where they host over 60 events a year, including Bent, Twisted Windows, Self-Suspension Open Space, and Bondage A Go. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah. And that is, I have to say, perhaps the bio with the most descriptive words I have read in here in a long time. So I appreciate that. We have a knack for words. I have a degree in using them and Shay has a, a long practice skill of writing them. So is there anything that you would, but you know, that's the more generic bio, but is there anything that you'd like to add to that? I mean, I also founded a motorcycle club for kinky people 10 years ago called Legion of Sin. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Ride and do dirty stuff. That's kind of the whole point of being in a motorcycle club full of kinky people. I think that pretty much covers the basics. We, yeah, we're excited to be on the podcast and chat about uh, a lot of different topics. But I think our bio mentions that we're, you know, polyamorous and play sluts, at least historically. And we're looking forward to chatting some more about some of those things. Yeah, awesome. And we're going to be covering pickup play today. So I do have one thing that I want to tell you before we hop in here that it because just because it's funny and I think you might appreciate it. Our partner, Amanda, by the way, is is a little starstruck with you, Shay. We uh, we were at <laughs> Cassie's rolling over here. So she's she's you know, she's she's, she's into the self suspension stuff. We were at Tether together and she was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're like, <laughs> it was it was it was so adorable. I was like, "Go oh say hello." Just she say didn't. Hi. She didn't. But she she, she walked whole... over to Shay and then turned around and walked away. And I was like, "Oh, you poor thing." I was like, "Just say hi. Just say hello. It's fine." So yeah. Oh my gosh, it's very weird to me to especially that kind of. I don't know. It's very weird to me, and the book has made that even more so a thing sometimes. So I didn't set out to do this for because I wanted to be treated like a celebrity or something weird. I It's very strange to me because I'm like, I'm just like a weirdo who felt like I had to make a book because there wasn't any books on the topic. And I was like, I need to, I need to do this. Like, I, I wish that there was one. So I'm going to create the content that I wanted to see in the world. And it's, it's it's very cute. Like I, I always try to put people at ease and I'm I'm against pedestal culture in kink. And uh, it's very it's odd to me to, you know, feel put on a pedestal. And I always like do what I can to try to at least step off of it myself and or put some ladders up. So, you know, hopefully other people can be raised up as well. So. Yeah, I totally understand that feeling because like since we've had the podcast and things like that, we've had folks who have been too scared to like come up and say hello. And I'm like, I'm not running a podcast because I don't want to talk to people. Obviously, I like talking to people. I run a podcast, <laughs> right? Like, right. <laughs> kind of counter, counter, counterintuitive there, right? So, yes, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Sorry, I did. I just want to mention that, though, because it was it was hilarious, though. Cassie and I, Cassie and I were rolling. At, 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 that's at pretty... when we were, we were up there. So. <laughs> it was that's, adorable. That's She's adorable. It was adorable. <laughs> I spent 10 years, you know, doing the upper floor and I still do it. And there were a, a long time where we were live broadcast and I would be present on the internet to thousands of people for eight hours a day, whether it would be making porn or going about my routine or whatever have you, or chatting with people and about life and having the ability to give 
people some insight they didn't know. And so I'm, I'm used to going to conventions and people being like, oh my God, that's the guy from the upper floor. And I realized to some people it's just porn, but what also happened is I, the upper floor influenced a lot of people's like introductions to BDSM and seeing that there's a different way and kind of them sort of idolizing the people that were there. And so what, what was always fascinating to me was them sort of discovering that I also wear jeans and t-shirts and, and I don't always look like that. And I sure as hell don't always act like Maestro Stefanos, the, you know, steward of the upper floor, uh, you know, in person. And so to watch Shay sort of get fan human, <laughs> she used to make fun of me. You know, I'd be standing in line somewhere and she's like, oh, you know, she's like, that's so cute. You were just saying whatever, you know, fanboy, or fan, whatever words you want to use. And so now I get, I, I get a little, I, it's not schadenfreude, but it's excitement. I'm like, ha, ha, it just happened to you. How does that work for you? You know, um, you know, and, 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 and cause Shay's actually a huge introvert, right? It's like her real space is more like being you know, introverted, not extroverted. So as people approach her, it's, it's very fascinating to, for me to watch Shay have, have the reaction she does, which is to remind people that she still puts her ropes on one, you know, one strand at a time instead of her pants because she doesn't wear pants. But, uh, <laughs> leggings. I wear anyway. leggings. That's, <laughs> so I, think that's, I just find it fun. So I think that's a, a interesting thing that you said is that Shay is kind of introverted. And this kind of goes into our topic. For a lot of people, pickup play is intimidating. So I would say, Shay, you know, for you, when you first started doing pickup play, was that something that was uh, a little bit of a, uh, a a weird zone for you or no? Oh, I'm, can I break in on this real quick? I want to, I think we should define, I, I think it's a great question. I think we should define pickup play first, though, for people who may not may not know what that is. So would one of you like to pick that question up? I, I think pickup play, the way I would define it is if I go out to a party or I'm out at an event, you know, sometime when I haven't made specific plans with a established partner, then, you know, meet someone or, you know, connect with an acquaintance or friend and do a scene that evening, perhaps, or, you know, meet someone and maybe plan to play the next day is kind of how we're defining pick up play. So the idea being, it's not me and Steph going out to a party together. And we've been together for a number of years. Well, we won't even we won't say how many and planning to do a scene with each other. It's much more. How are we meeting new people and connecting with them, you know, making play dates? It's an interesting thing, right? Because I think there's such a there's such a kind of a broad area there that kind of falls in between like the people who you like you and Stefanos, right, who have been together a long, long time. And then like meeting somebody at that at that exact point, like where you're starting to talk about something like there's so much room in between there. It's a really interesting area to talk about. Yeah. And I think it exists like everything else on a continuum. I don't think that it's a absolute. But yeah, pickup play, I think, can be. It can be a riskier type of play, and I think we'll probably talk about that as we, you know, as we go forward. There's definitely some precautions, and there's definitely, in some ways, in my opinion, a higher risk profile. So that's something to be aware of if you're going to do that type of play. Uh, also, I would like to add really quick in this. I've had people say to me, "Well, of course, you and Shay can talk about pickup play." I mean. So many people know who you are. Of course, you could do pickup play. That's I'm not who you guys are, so it doesn't work the same. 
we don't come at it from a place of we are Stefanos and Shea doing pickup play. We, we come at it from a place when, A, that wasn't who we were, remembering that when we do stuff and talking about it as meeting people. I mean, one of the first things that we have to remember, I, you know, Shea has to remember and I have to remember, is that when we are somewhere, we're viewed as either party hosts or presenters. And that labels a set of authority that people automatically give you that we have to get rid of as well, because we, we have to make that play field more equal. And so when we're talking about this, we're also trying to do away with the idea that people go, well, of course, people want to play with Stefanos and Shea because they know who they are. So we're trying to find a way to skim through that and knock that part down because what we don't want to use is that level of fame and authority or whatever word you want to put on it that comes with being known people. Yeah, it's tricky because there can be a power differential that that kind of thing sets up when we're presenters and... So we have, there's a, an organization that created the Kink Educator Code of Conduct. I want to give kind of a quick shout out. I was part of developing it, but that is a document that kind of goes into how, as people who have that authority and kind of have some of that power just inherently within the kink community because of the things that we do, because we're presenters, because we're speakers, because we're organizers, how we can be ethical and mindful about play and about how we're interacting in these communities. So some of the guidelines that Steph and I use these days might be, you know, it's certainly different from the way that we did pick up play when we were first starting in the community. For example, we don't cruise during classes, obviously, like we aren't going to be in front of a class and, you know, picking someone from the audience to do a demo and like hitting on them, right? That wouldn't be <laughs> what no. we're talking about at all. And we don't, I, I don't ever ask people to play anymore, actually, because I kind of view it as because I've, you know, written a book and I'm kind of putting air quotes because I don't think of myself that way. But because I kind of have that authority within the community, I worry that me asking someone to play is perhaps coercive. Perhaps they, you know, don't feel on even footing with me to turn me down. Both Stefanos and I, we don't, within an event where we're, you know, presenting or hosting, uh, we don't put ourselves out in that way anymore. So I don't know, things have changed from when we started in the scene in that way. It, it doesn't really nullify what we do or how we interact with people or the tips that we offer to ourselves and to other people all the time. Because I think when you're going out and you're looking to play with someone, right, you're, you're going out to go do a thing. So during, during the times in which Shay and I are, are presenting or we are hosting or we are doing a thing, I'm not thinking about who am I going to play with, right? I'm, I'm focusing on the task at hand that I volunteered to do or I'm compensated to do. But so let's say I'm at a conference or I go out to a party and I'm like, hey, you know, wow, I, I came here because I want to play. My, you know, my other partners are not available tonight. And so there, there's ways and processes and things the way we think and the what you can do and the tips we can give people because of the scenarios we run into in our time, you know, good and bad that we've had and we've, we've watched different people do different things and seen how we can work this out. So it's not, it, it's not to say that, this should nullify any of the information that we have. It's just we've had to modify it in, in the current state of, you know, who we are. That's all. Yeah, it's 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 a really, you know, that that whole that whole aspect of things is a really interesting topic. I think it's a really important topic, too. I would I would be very interested if you send that code of conduct over, Shay, you know, afterwards, I'll make sure that we put it in the show note. 
But I, I do think I do think it's a really important discussion. And I want to maybe maybe I want to dive into that a little bit more, depending on how we do on time. Um, I want to bring it around a little bit, though, because I don't think most of the people listening are probably in that space where they're having to think about that stuff yet. So I want to I want to touch on something that you kind of started talking on, Stefanos, which is what is the the attraction for you of pickup play? Like, what is it about pickup play that you like and that, you know, other people might uh, might enjoy? I, I think the joy of it all is, is that it, it, it is sort of a, a spice and a variety moment. You know, I see someone doing a thing that I like. I'm like, wow, I, I, I want to experience that experience. And so I can go find out if I can experience that with someone. So if someone does approach me or I decide to approach someone else about pickup play and how I handle that, what I'm really looking for the experiences is I'm looking for the experience the person has. Because I'm often not looking for long-term partners because I have a fabulous poly life with two long-term partners. I'm looking for the experience that comes from the time and a relationship that hopefully would come of that, that we can experience together over time. I know that's really vague, but you know, without naming something like, oh my God, you know, I really wanted to, I watched a person get single-tailed. I loved how they reacted. I would like to see how they react with me and what kind of connection we can create because I, I saw the connection that they had with the person they were playing with or those kind of things work. Or I see someone doing a thing and I, you know, like um, I switch also. And I'm like, oh my God, I really love how the person uses that, that item or, and, and interacts with the person they're playing with. I would like to react and be in that situation. And I put myself out to get that, to try to find a way to get that experience. It depends kind of on which side of the, of the slash I'm playing that day. <laughs> If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It's funny. I was, you know, I was thinking, I don't, I don't know. And that's why I said it's, it's one of those interesting gray areas in terms of like, when exactly does it qualify as pick a play and when doesn't it? Like, I'm not sure how much, how much of what we do would be strictly defined as pick a play, depending on how you define it. Like we, we have a lot of people that it's like, we play with you, but we only see you a couple times a year, but it, it's not necessarily we just met you. But I was thinking back to like one of the last times I actually had something that would definitely be like considered a pick a play scenario. And it was very much like because I switch as well. And it was very much like a, I saw somebody doing something interesting and I was like, I like how you play. That looks interesting. Like, I'd like to talk to you. So and I think that's where I come from. I mean, yeah, I also have similar things like you said about people you see once or twice a year. I wouldn't call that pick up play. You know, it was at one point. Right. But now it's more like reconnecting with, you know, a comet or someone that you've been connected with. When in, in the case you mentioned where you see someone once or twice a year and you play with them. You know, it's funny because I think you're right. I think a lot of relationships, even that aren't pick a play, they may have started that way at some point. I'm thinking back to like, you know, a couple of those people who I am talking about who it's like, yeah, we meet you at camp and, you know, we see you twice a year and do horrible things to you at camp. Like mm -hmm. that did at one point start out as pick a play, right? That at one point started out as we're all at camp sitting around. It's like, what would you be interested in doing? So, yeah, which one of the things we talk about, because we teach a whole class on pickup play and building it from friendships, I think is extremely important. It's important to not, you know, not treat people as objects. Obviously, you know, someone that you see playing isn't your, you know, fantasy fulfillment blow up doll. Uh, people are people and dealing with them on that level in terms of you know, focus on just making friends and making connections. And even if this person isn't maybe someone you ultimately want to play with, you know, maybe their pal is, uh, there's a concept in social psychology called triadic closure, which is that if I'm friends with Joe and Joe is friends with Bob, then it's a lot easier for me and Bob to get to know each other and build a connection because we have that 
kind of triangle piece connecting us, if that makes any sense. So thinking about kind of focused on making friends. Uh, another thing we talk about that comes from social psychology is the idea of effective forecasting, which is that at it. people are very bad at predicting what will make them happy. People are so terrible at this. And so it's, I think, really important as kinky folks to be willing to be open-minded and kind of be willing to go outside of what we might think we want, which isn't to say, obviously, that if you got like a five alarm warning siren going off in your head that you ignore that, obviously not. But a lot of times what people think will make them happy isn't what actually makes them happy. And being willing to like, hey, I, I don't think this person's my type, but they asked me to play and maybe, you know, doing a 20 minutes banking scene with them isn't the same as getting married and we could try it and see if it works out and maybe it would be completely awesome. And you just didn't, you would not have known that if you hadn't given it a shot. You know, on that particular note, I think it's important what Shay is saying, because for 13 years, I ran a play party in San Francisco. I just ended it this year where we had people meet and play together in a pickup situation that we mitigated with different social means. But aside from that, it was very common <laughs> That I would have to look at people and be like, yes, I understand they're not meeting your stereotype of attraction, but what they're what they're asking to play in or the, the, the kind of scenario that they're trying to put in matches identically to the scenario you're looking for. And so instead of trying to find your perfect dream type, et cetera, all the time, when you're offered something, open your mind and say, this could be fun. Now, and again, go back to what Shay said with the five alarm fires, don't do it. But I'm just pointing out, like, it's really important also in that sense, because there's a lot of environments and play parties where you can meet people based on uh, what each of you is looking for. You know, there, there, there's different play parties that do that, cards that have it, speed dating type stuff, et cetera, where you can meet people with like interests. And to step outside of any in any of those boxes to play and enjoy yourself in a different way is really important. Yeah, and I think that kind of brings me to a question that I have is, are there certain events and certain things that are better for pickup play, right? Like, obviously, like your, your speed play, right? Your speed dating for kinksters that want to play might be something that, you know, is is kind of like that's in the uh, the description of of what it is. Yeah. But for others who are going out to, perhaps you don't have a current play partner, or you're looking for something new or different, is there better events or better places to go to find others who might be open to that? I thought that's what Fet Life was for. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. No. Yeah. The Fet Life. Has, uh, that's a whole different, uh, whole different thing. Um, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, and for the listeners, that answer is no. Yeah. It was yeah. sarcasm. No, that's no, sarcasm. No, that. no I, your sarcasm was completely <laughs> red, which is why I think we're all laughing so hard. <laughs> I, I, I would say, if, if Shay's okay with me piping in first. Yeah, sure. I would say that one of the things that's important is, is to look like for events. And what I mean by that is, is like here in the Bay Area, as an example, or, you know, when you go to a conference, they have descriptions of parties that are happening or, you know, different events that have a kind of a description of an event. Look at the description and see to it that it's actually asking for people who are single, or it has something at the event that's helping people who want to come single. So as an example, or maybe not even come single, that's even the wrong word, just people who are looking 
to meet other people and play that night. Single doesn't need to be the word we have because there's so many different dynamics. But an example in the Bay Area, there is there there's a, a play party uh, that Shea hosts called Bent, and one of the things that we noticed was there was a lot of people trying to find who played with who would play with each other, and so we Shea uh, began facilitating that by using a wristband system that people could see and go, okay, that person is interested in having a conversation about playing with someone. And so even though that's a very low level sort of way of getting people to interact, it doesn't like, it's not mediated, it's not anything, it's just a, a visual signal. I think that's important because it, as, as another example, if you came to say just a, a, a dungeon that just had a play party, that they were just like, come and play at our party. That's it, right? Or you go to like some convention and you just wander into the play space, right? It, it, there's no signal that says you're looking for something. And so you would have a harder time as a person looking for pickup play at an event that didn't find some way to encourage it. So like at this party that I used to throw, it was, it was called Master's Den. We had cards that people wore that broke things up into four group, four large groups of play. There was BD, you know, there was like, you know, impact, right? Like SM and, and bondage in one category. There was service in another category. There was some sort of sex involved in another category. And then there was one card that was sort of like, I'm interested in something in all those other categories, right? And then we had a card that went with it that said, by the way, I'm with someone and we all, we, we, we all need to talk together. And it was very vague. It was very vague in its idea. But what it did is it allowed someone who's, who's out saying, I want to engage sexually with someone for them to be able to give people permission to ask about that or for someone to feel that they have permission to ask for that. And I think that kind of event in general is what people would find rewarding to go to. Yeah, I think a lot of events do. And you know, we have the Kinky Speed Connections events. Uh, it can be, I think, harder to meet people at a play party if it's not a play party that is specifically you know, focused around having some sort of icebreaker or some sort of activity for connecting folks. Because a lot of us, you know, I'm an introvert. A lot of people in the community are shy. A lot of people have some, you know, social awkwardness. And so a lot of these events can seem kind of clicky when you first enter into them. And I think people are actually really friendly and want to meet new folks. But it's just safer to like talk with the people that you know. And if you're like an awkward turtle, then you just, you know, you go and hide with your group of friends. That's that's pretty common human thing to do, I think. So sometimes it can be a lot easier, I feel, to meet new potential play partners at an event that's more explicitly social versus a play event where perhaps a lot of the people have come with already an established partner. So a munch, a skill share, rope can be very helpful, even if you're, you know, not sure if you're super into bondage as like a whole kink. Uh, it can be a really helpful tool because it's so structured. It gives you a way to interact with someone that can have, you know, a little bit more inherent structure to it. So something that's like a rope 101 Skillshare or, you know, a class where there, there can be like sampler classes where you're kind of connecting with different partners. So I think that kind of event can be extremely helpful. And yeah, as much as like, you know, FetLife can be kind of maligned, I do think with Dark Odyssey, even there will be like whole threads for different events where it's like, you know, looking for play. Uh, it, it's helpful sometimes to ask for what you want, right? And to be able to put out there like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. And sometimes those events can be 
you know, posting on the FetLife thread, yeah, maybe you're going to get five randos who message you that are not people you would ever want to connect with. But maybe, you know, someone you've seen around a couple times will message you and, oh, I didn't know you were interested in snorkel waterboarding. Uh, let's let's connect and talk about it or whatever thing. You know, uh, another event concept that I think people can look for, uh, I, I do pet play. And w- with both my partners, but primarily with Senta. And I like going to pet events because by the very nature, you get to meet people who are into the thing that you like being into. So I'm not saying like, oh, suddenly get into pet play. What I'm just saying is, is it, that's even another place to meet other kinksters if it's a social open area, because not every not everybody has just one thing they do. And so I find that even going with you know my pup or my kitty to a pet play event, I find other people who have other interests who want to play. And by the nature of just meeting people in those types of environments, you will do it. It's like rope is like one of those environments where people want to teach or a munch where people want to listen to each other and communicate. I I just really want to second that and add to that level of one more thing you could do and and asking for what you want. It's the key of one of the class of the class that we teach just literally to ask for what you want is a thing. And how you ask is of course, how you ask is how you would be perceived and how you will be received. So that's part of the class also. And a lot of that starts from self-awareness. Like, you know, if you're going to ask for what you want, you have to have the self-knowledge of what that is that you're looking for. And that can be a process of self-discovery as well. Like another kind of meeting people and what type of event you might meet people at. My number one tip for folks would actually be to volunteer and get involved which is a great introvert trick because it can be really hard to just like meet people cold, just like I'm going to walk up and introduce myself to people. That can be like really difficult. But if I'm working the door and it's my job to greet people as they enter the space and ask them if they've reviewed the rules or whatever, then I'm, I have a structure to that and I'm already being introduced to people. When Stephanos and I moved to the Bay area and we didn't know anybody at all. We immediately started volunteering. And we, I mean, within a few months, we just had a huge circle of connections. And it was because we we were engaged, we were there, we went to all the parties, and we stayed after and vacuumed and cleaned the toilets. And like, that's, you know, if you're looking for we joke that if you're looking for the keys to the inner circle, they're probably at the bottom of the toilet bowl. And if you just like scrub it a little bit, maybe they bubble up to the surface. So like, think about like, how can you volunteer? It's so true. Yeah. And get involved with it. And that I think it goes along with focusing on making friends because that's how you're going to connect with people as well. Uh, asking, can I stay and help with cleanup? Can I, Oh, you're moving chairs. Can I help you with that? And working together tends to bond people as well. So yeah, as much as you can do that, I think will behoove folks who are looking to make those new play connections. For a lot of folks, I think it's somewhat intimidating because you can go out to a play party and you can see folks that just seem to be able to like walk up and pick people up. Like I've actually had folks talk to, to me and Rigel and say, you know, the two of you just look like you just like pick up people <laughs> and play. And sometimes, and I was like, well, one, a lot of times that's not actually how that went right. down, right? Like we don't really do a ton of pickup play in terms of the traditional sense, but we tend to plan out things and uh, have people that we have that like once or twice a year at a certain event. Like I have my mermaid who like I hook up with at camp. So mm-hmm. 
for I think for a lot of folks, there's this idea that like pickup play is this thing where you walk over to somebody and you're like, let's play right this second. And boom, magic happens. Like we actually had people who thought that we like did abductions out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that was, we, we, we did. Yeah, we did like, we did like a couple of abductions at DO this last year. We had a couple people write us like, wow, like you just came and like snatched them up. Like, you know, like, and not like there was like no pre-negotiating or anything that went into that. And we were like, not at, at all. all. Like this was something that was planned between them and us for like yeah. months. So I think for a lot of folks, there's that like intimidation factor of like, I'm not just able to just walk up and be like, cool, let's hop into a scene. What would you suggest as far as conversation, like how to get that started in a way where if you are out and you're trying to to ask someone to play, how would you suggest doing that? And I think there's I think there's kind of two parts to this too. Like there's like the approach portion of it. Mm -hmm. Like how do you actually like walk up to somebody and ask to play and move that conversation into like a play area and then actually like there's actually like negotiating it. Yeah, I would say so there's the the concept we talked about before in terms of talking to people as people first, right? It's never going to work to maybe I don't know, maybe in some universe it would, but certainly not recommended to crawl up to someone you don't know and start pawing at their feet being like, "Please beat me, mistress. Please beat me." Uh, that's not going to be an appropriate way to approach someone for play. So Hey boy, I love your arms. Want to shove them up my ass? I mean, these are not good play play pickup lines. <laughs> no, not gonna work out. So talking with people as people first, getting to getting to know them. We have some scenarios that we do when we teach this as a class, where we will discuss asking people questions. Can be a really good one in terms of asking someone about their clothing, asking about their accessories, like where did you get those? And just like having that conversation, getting someone talking with you and having that connection just as humans in a more quote vanilla sense before getting into a conversation about playing, I think can be really important. People like to hear nice things about themselves. So like compliments are good, although it shouldn't be, there's creepy compliments, right? And then there's the, the kind of compliments that we're talking about. Like if you wanted to talk with someone about play, like there's a reason why we want to encourage people to be sincere and maybe even a little vulnerable in terms of connecting with someone on an authentic level. Uh, can't pick up lines are, are not at all what we're talking about. There tends to be the mental heuristic that we talk about in terms of compliments that work or don't is to compliment people on something that they chose, not on, for example, a body part, like, you know, hey, babe, nice tits. That's not going to be a good compliment in terms of connecting with someone for play. But, you know, I love your boots. Where did you get those? You know, those are amazing. You, did you have them blacked recently? Whatever that type of compliment can be really a way to connect with someone. Now, another compliment Let's say you are wandering around the play space because we like to do that. I like watching people do stuff. I'm a voyeur and an exhibitionist at the same time. I think that's hot. I think that's fun. So you're walking around and you see someone doing a thing that you like. Shay and I do this scenario in class where, where we see someone doing a thing with protocols and position training and it's really hot and it's all military. And it, you know we're, we're like really excited by it because that's in, the, in this example, that becomes my kink. And so you see that. And either as it doesn't matter which which side of you when it be the person yelling the orders, the person receiving the orders, you can then approach that person and be very sincere and truthful about what you saw 
and why you'd like to try to experience that with them. I think even that, I mean, obviously don't walk up and maybe use that as the first thing out of your mouth because that then sounds like you were stalking them. But, but I think the context of that is is similar concept to nice boots, right? It's the idea of, hey, I saw you doing this thing. I liked how you were using your floggers to the beater. I like how you reacted to, to those things and the way you the way you reacted. The thing that actually drew you to it is what you're trying to get out of yourself, and then that helps people to feel appreciated then and feel like the, the, it's understood. And this is not some sort of right. weird being inauthentic. That's the last thing you want to do. You, the the key of being vulnerable with what you're looking for is actually human and allow yourself to be human. You're not a machine looking for something. This is not some game to see how many scenes you can do in a, in a night, right? This is about finding something that you want to do and do it. So. Yeah, I think like coming up with an idea for a scene is actually like a lot of emotional labor. Like it's a lot of work to come up with ideas. And if someone approaches me for play and they have some sort of idea that we can start from, that to me is extremely helpful. And it's a lot more likely to get a response of like, let's talk more. So like somebody coming up to me and being like, hey, want to want to play? Like, let's do stuff. I'm like, uh, I mean... I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of tired. Maybe what, like, I don't know what do you want to do? do. Like it, it can. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just really here to make you happy. Right. You we know, could I do. Mean, yeah. These are like, right. And that things. can be pretty exhausting versus I've had someone come up to me and, you know, say something really specific. Like, you know, I was watching you do rope the other night and I loved the really dynamic style that you had and, you know, having your partner really be able to move in the rope if you're interested, I would love to tie with you. Like that's giving me a lot more information and I'm a lot more inclined to like, okay, yeah, like let's, let's talk more. I would also suggest um, non-coercive language. And a lot of what Stefanos and I, you know, talk about has to do with, you know, consent obviously being super important. So like asking someone whether they'd like to talk about uh, playing rather than, asking someone to play is an important distinction in my opinion. So, you know, Hey, do you want to talk about doing a scene? Because like negotiation isn't a promise of play. We're going to talk about it and decide whether our interests meet or not. And having that be explicit, I think is helpful for folks as well. I mean, cause sometimes it, it's, per, you know, a successful discussion about wanting to play ending in, wow, we're not going to do that is actually more fulfilling and likely to, you maybe even connect you with that, that person as well. You know, I mean, so, you know, Shay and I sometimes will even talk about, let's say, let's say, Hey, Shay, would you like to talk about doing play with me? And Shay says, yes. And I'm like, cool. I have these canes that I really love using. I, you know, I had them and Shay's response could be, uh, go ahead, Shay, come up with something. Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, I can't really have marks cause I'm going swimming with grandma tomorrow. Um, oh, you know, oh. but we could do, we could do some position training instead. I really, you know, I like going through positions. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm not so sure I'm in the mood to do positions. I was looking for something more where, where I could like touch or impact with someone. And you see right there, we're already kind of moving to the idea that maybe this is not, we're going to, we're not going to not get to play, but if we can come to a place to realize we're not going to get to play, then it's entirely possible that that now I could look at Shay or Shay could look at me and say, hey, you know, I really love doing positions, Stefanos. I really want to do someone. You know, you know a few people. Do you know anybody? And this is kind of this is that triangular thing again. Yeah. And negotiation ending and not playing is a successful negotiation. That is a victory. 
Cassie, I wanted to bump you here, though. I, I know you have to have some advice for, for going and saying sweet things to people because you're amazingly good at it. <laughs> I mean, I, I OK, so uh, <laughs> I have a knack for compliments um, and uh, flattering people. But thank you for outing me on the podcast now. I use that as part of my <laughs> mystical oh, charm. I'm sorry. Yeah, you just took it away. Um, no, nah, it's cool. You can't give your secrets on the podcast? Uh, Is that what you're saying? No, but I, I, I find that... <laughs> Some of the things that that really help me in conversations when I am trying to get someone to talk and, and open up, particularly like maybe not even like picking up play at that time, but to even discuss it is if I see somebody and I see a skill that they have or they have something that they do well, not necessarily complimenting how that would make me feel to have that or, oh, that's so hot and sexy, but like actually being impressed with what they've had to do to get to that skill. So say you're a bottom and you're like doing something where you're doing like a lot of body manipulation and things like that. Like, wow, like it is amazing that you were able to hold yourself in that position for a long time or as a top, like that's a really amazing tie that you did and you took so long to like do it. Like, how did you learn to do that? And opening up those conversations with a compliment and a question can really get a conversation going, right? Like I just asked you something and now we're having more of like a equal conversation versus me being like somebody who's doting after you, right? Also, to kind of dovetail on that, people love to talk about themselves. <laughs> yes, yep. there's actually been quite a bit of research on this. Uh, <laughs> they've put people in like an MRI machine and found that talking about yourself activates the same pleasure centers of your brain that are activated by being given money or eating chocolate. So it's definitely, you know, asking people questions. This can be like an introvert trick as well is we think we have to, you know, impress people by telling them stories of our exploits or something like that. But just asking someone about themselves uh, and being sincere about it, not, you know, creepy or weird, but being, you know, sincere and asking someone being interested in them can be a super great way to, you know, to break the ice and get to know people and, you know, eventually those, you know, friendships can, you know, turn into play or not. Like they can just be awesome friendships, which is great too. I, I, I think what you're probably hearing and, and, and for the listeners that are listening, you're like, you know, that the, there's no magic line, right? And there's no, there's no one way that this is going to work and pretty much not everything is, is going to go the way you were planned. I mean, but I, I really think it's important to, to, in order to get anywhere in life, you need to be genuine with who you are and genuine with the person you're meeting. So a lot of what we all just said to each other was literally about being genuine in what you're doing. And we keep using the word creepy and sometimes people are like, what's creepy? What does that mean? How does that sound creepy? Well, at, at any point in time, at, anybody can assume an ulterior motive could be coming from someone. And so the idea of not being creepy is not giving someone the feeling that you have an ulterior motive. And that when someone doesn't want to talk about something as an example, like one of the one of the things that people have told me triggers their creepy vibe, right? Is that you just don't take no when when given even a subtle no or an overt no about a topic or about a situation. And then you become that person that, that can't take no for an answer. Yeah, I think, I mean, if there's one thing we should look for in partners that we're going to do kinky things with, it's someone who has respect for boundaries. And if someone's showing you before you're even playing that they're not hearing or respecting your no, whether that's an explicit no or you know something that's more of a soft no, 
then do you think they're going to respect your boundaries once you're tied up and gagged? I mean, probably not, right? So looking for that respect for boundaries is you know, and being able to to show that to people as well. Like, okay, you know, I, I get that signal and being very respectful. I love it when someone tells me, you know, an explicit boundary or when someone tells me, no, I, cause then I can, I feel more that I can trust them to speak up in the moment and speak up for their needs. And that to me is amazing because I never want to be coercive with someone. I don't want, you know, I want to make sure that there's that enthusiastic consent at all times. So that, that actually, I think pulls, pulls well into a, a an important topic about negotiating. So I don't want to, I don't want to turn this interview into like a, a, a whole class on negotiation um, because we don't, we don't have enough time to be frank. Um, I will, <laughs> when we're doing the show notes, I'll link to it. We have like a whole video on how to negotiate a scene. But what I do want to make sure that we touch is just anything that you feel is, you know, in this, this type of when you're talking about pickup play specifically, that's really important in your negotiations to make sure that you're maybe approaching a certain way or making sure that you're paying extra care to in when you in how you're negotiating things. One of the first times that I was doing pickup play at, at the time I exclusively bottomed and Stephanos was off playing with another one of his partners. There was somebody that I'd met maybe once who was at this party and he had a big container of canes, like just this, you know, I don't know, whatever those big cylindrical things are full of canes. And he, you know, looked at me and he was like, you know, hey, you, you want to like do some caning? And I was like, sure, let's let's do some caning. And that was the entirety of our negotiation. And then I, you know, bent over the spanking bench and he starts caning me. And that was that was fine. And then at some point he decided to, you know, put down his canes and reach around and start touching my genitals, which was not fine. I told him, Red, don't do that. Let's stick with caning. And we went back to caning. For me at that time, that was okay. Um, it was not particularly triggering for me. I was like, well, that's not what I wanted. So I'm telling you to stop and then we'll go back to the thing that I wanted to do. Certainly for someone else, that could have been a very, very triggering thing. Um, and there's certainly plenty of people where speaking up in the moment can be very hard. There can be, you know, we talk about fight or flight, but there's also freeze in terms of reactions folks might have in that moment. So having a freeze response uh, can be something that happens and the fawn response as well. So I would say knowing yourself in terms of if you're going to do scenes with very minimal negotiation, that's it's a lot higher risk, right? And sometimes if it's someone that you trust or you can keep it within a very narrow, you know, if I had said like, hey, we're doing caning only on my butt, don't touch anywhere except for this specific area, um, that would have probably made our experience a lot better because <laughs> I would have uh, steered that ship beforehand. But kind of understanding some of those risks, I think is important and knowing yourself, like, can you speak up in the moment and safe word? Are you someone who, you know, does have, you know, a freeze or, you know, a trauma response? If so, it's going to be a lot higher risk and there's going to be a different level of negotiation that you're, you're going to want to do. But yeah, negotiation can be a whole separate class um, <laughs> for sure. So I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but hopefully that kind of makes sense. A few thoughts that I have would be one, just because everybody else trusts that person doesn't make 
them trustworthy in that moment at all times. I know that sounds terrible to say, but it, it is it is always possible for someone to basically not do the right thing. And so make sure if someone says, you know, that's never happened. Like as an example, I I was privy to a con- to, to a story in a conversation that happened around me where someone was doing a negotiation scene for cutting and literally the top said, don't worry, it never scars. I've never scarred anybody in the whole time I've been doing cutting. And the person was like, great, sounds wonderful. I'll trust you. And in my head, I was like, you can't actually say that because um, there's always a chance it'll scar. So you can't promise that it would scar, right? That it won't scar. I mean, I felt, you know, and I was like, what do I do? And, and this was something that was happening in a circle that I could intercede because I was part of the process. But I was like, well, we can't say that. And so be careful of that situation it is one of the most important things for me. And then the other thing is, is honestly, just make sure that you're asking questions from both sides. So if one side of the negotiation is basically silence or being interrogated, like it usually happens to the bottom, right? This is you know, where it usually happens. The top asks a million questions. The bottom says yes or no. And we start the scene. Make sure you're asking questions from both sides of the negotiation and negotiation. Negotiation should occur not in any role. Just because I have a caller on, uh, and you know, and you're Sir Domly Dom, and I'm Slave Wormdick at the time. It, 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 I stole that from Shay. She loves to call me Slave Wormdick. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Yes, uh, you know, I mean, just because I'm going to say something specific, magnificent, uh, d- does not mean that you get, don't get to ask me questions when we're negotiating. Because when we're negotiating, we're equals, and that's the end of it, as far as as far as I'm concerned. You know, we're, we're equals. And if that, if that can't be respected, I don't know that I want to play. Yeah, Absolutely. I think, I mean, for pickup play, I would say like my one negotiation tip is to be really narrow in your scope. You want when you're playing with someone, especially new, especially someone maybe you don't know super well, having a very narrow scope, I think, is extremely helpful. So and that can be as simple as let's go through the toy bag and, you know, let's pick out five toys and I'll have my partner order them from this is, you know, this end is the nice toys, quote unquote, whatever that means to you. And I can ask you as we go, you can learn a lot from your partner in this process. And then on the other end is the more quote mean toys. And what does that mean to you? And we're only going to play with these five toys. Here's the area, you know, we're only going to play on the buttocks. We're not going to touch anywhere that's you know, underwear covers, etc. But having like a really, really clearly defined and limited scope for a scene, um, I think can be helpful in the context of maybe playing with someone that you don't know as well. And you can always it's, it's like the circus, you know, as Stefanos would say, you always want to leave your partner wanting more. And that applies for both sides of the slash like this isn't the time to break out every trick in your toy box to impress someone like you want to you know, leave, leave the stage while the audience is still clapping. Like you want to have this be, you know, Hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you introductory moment. And if it, you know, if it goes well and you both connected well with it, then there can be a next time, but uh, you always want to kind of err on the side of like, let's hold off. And, you know, there can always be a next time if, if we're both feeling it. With that thought, like, is there certain types of play that, you think are a better idea and more so ones that you think are a worse idea for pickup play? Like as an example, I don't do pickup play with cutting. Okay. However, there's an exception to that rule because I I have taught cutting classes, right? And then at another conference, someone who attended my cutting class came to me and said, Hey, I would, 
I want to talk to you about doing a cutting on me. I like the technique that you use. I like the way you talked about it. I want, you know, I watched you do this thing with so-and-so. I'm always more inclined when someone comes to me to do pick up play. I much prefer to do uh, impact stuff or protocol things or, you know, some sort of dirty, dirty sex thing with people. And what I mean, and, and, and I don't mean like actually having sex. I mean like something dirty, something controlling and fun because I love DS. So I, I, I think it's important that I like to keep it somewhere that I feel like I'm in control of my skill. Keep it in control of your own skill set. Don't, don't try something new the first time you play with someone. I think that's a terrible plan. Okay, that, 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 that right there is a terrible plan. Like, like the, there it is. That, that's where my brain was going with this because I'm like, no, I know. I mean, I do cutting. You know, because I mean, like I've seen people look at me and say, Stefanos, I would never have done knife play with someone when I first met them. I feel very confident with my knife play. And, and so I, I can do that. I'm not saying there's, there's not risk there. There's a level of risk. And I discuss it with the person that wants to do knife play with me. Uh, but I think that's, that's where I go. So if someone offers me a chance to play with them and it's something that I'm not comfortable with doing, like I'm not sure my skill is good enough or I brought the right things for that, I say no. So it's, it's not a particular thing, in my opinion. It's your comfort level. Oh, yeah. I think I think there's something else that I just wanted to mark that you mentioned there too, right? Which is it kind of related to something you said where you said that the person had seen you in class and you had a little bit of idea of, of their background with knowing how you play. One thing that I think is can be really, really important with pickup play, like especially when you're you're I think it's important with all play to a certain extent, but I think it's especially if this is somebody that you don't know. Having seen them play before can be really, really helpful. To get an idea of like, like if you're top, like what kind of bottom are they? Like, you know, like have they like have they done other scenes where they've gone as far as they're asking you to take them? Right. And same thing when you're you're talking about a top. I think it it's super important. Not something I'm saying you have to do 100 percent of the time, but certainly for myself, like if I don't know somebody and I've never, you know, like I haven't interacted with them on a personal level, then I want to have seen them play before I'm I'm going to, to open that negotiation up personally. Yeah, I think that's a super important point and definitely something I look for. If someone's asking me to play as a rope top, then I, I really like them to have at least seen me play because there's definitely like if someone's asking me to do a sensual shibari scene like that is not what I do. And that's not going to be the style. And I can try to make myself do that. But like it's it's not going to work out. It's not going to be good for anyone so like having them have the experience of, oh, okay, Shay does silly circus rope. Uh, that's what Shay does as a top is really helpful. Um, and I think, you know, what Stefanos is talking about in terms of style play and what kind of the original question was, I think relates to the idea of risk budgeting, where you have a certain, you can think of risk as something that you you budget for and doing a type of play that you're not as familiar with. So like for me, if I were to pick up a single tail, I don't know how to use a fucking single tail. Like I have no goddamn clue at all. And so that's like a lot higher risk for me to be using that tool that I don't really know how to use. Maybe I'm just learning, right? Versus, you know, me picking up my little bunny roses flogger that I've had for, I don't know, more years than I care to say and flogging you with that. So, and if I'm playing with someone who's new to me, that's inherently a higher risk thing in some, in my opinion. So I want to budget my risk accordingly. And perhaps I don't want to, you know, play with someone new while also doing a skill that I'm not totally confident in, you know, while also, you know, perhaps doing some, you know, risky shibari tie that they could 
have nerve damage to their leg or, you know, whatever those things are. Once you start to stack all of those risks on top of each other, you have a lot more potential for things to go badly. So think about like, where is that risk coming from? And, you know, if I'm playing with someone who's brand new to me, that's, that's a risk that I'm taking. And how can I try to mitigate that by minimizing risk in some of those other categories, for example, by doing play that I'm very familiar with and using tools that I know extremely well. I think it's also important when you're talking about pickup play, not necessarily getting into areas that not even skill comfort, but maybe intellectual at experience as far as emotional, like how you've tinkered. Like if you're trying to do something where you're you're messing maybe with with some stuff where that could bring up past trauma for you or um, things that are a little bit more edgier, it's probably better to, to try that with someone that you're more familiar with who knows your signs and and can judge you a little bit better than somebody that you're just starting to know at at a play party for the first time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like emotional as well as physical risk is definitely important to consider. Yeah, I I, I, I can tell you that, yeah, I, I don't do uh, the, the, those kinds of things with people the first time I meet them. I mean, it, and, 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 and that's because, I mean, Shay and I do a lot of like psychological type of edge play with each other. And, you know, I've done it with my other partners. And that to me is a skill set that although I do a lot of it, each time I do it, it's always for a different reason with a different outcome. I do it with people I know so that if things start to slip sideways or we start going off the tracks together, I know I know how that's going to end up, right? I know where the airbags are. I know what's going to happen. And, and I'm aware of kind of where we as a couple will go with what if something went off the rails. And so how we're going to handle it, how, how we're going to work through any you know, trauma that came up or whatever situation we're in. And, and because it's a new person, I don't know that. So I'm not going to play in those directions with people. I think it goes back to that idea you're talking about of risk budgeting or that, that, that Shay was talking about, right? Which is, you know, there, there's also, it's not just about the levels of knowing the people, you know, how well you know the people, there's a level of how familiar you are with the activity you're doing. But there also, to a certain extent, is when you're, when you're considering that budget is the, the risk of the activity itself and doing something like a consensual non-consent scene or, you know, psychological, like some serious psychological play when you're, you're calculating your risk definitely falls higher on that scale than like flogging somebody right. for the most part. For sure. I've gotten into scenes that like I've negotiated and I felt like we were about to do the right thing and I started. And then I was like, you know, I, I, I'm going to stop this scene because <laughs> I feel like this just went the direction I didn't want it. I think that's something that I think you need to kind of put into everybody's head about in negotiating that if this starts going in a different direction, both of us should get a chance to stop it. You know, and, 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 and I'm speaking from a top side in this case, you know, as a switchy person. An example would be, I, I remember doing a scene with someone who wanted like lots of punching and kicking. And I was cool with that because I was really into, I mean, I'm still am, but at the time I was really into that, right? That was my thing at the time. And uh, I started punching and kicking them and they, and they looked back and, and asked me if that's all I had. And I was like, yeah, I, I guess that is. Um, and so we stopped playing because it wasn't enough. You know, I mean, and, and yeah, it, it was a little weird to have that said to me and then me to realize, you know, it, it wasn't about bratting at that point. It really actually was a sincere question because um, they were used to getting hit with shit I didn't have. And so we tried, you know, and, and I kind of instinctively knew that going into this moment. I was like, I don't know that I can hit them hard enough, you know, and that's what they wanted. And so, yeah, I think it's important to like be able to realize that you sometimes in pickup play, either side may just want to put a pause button on it, if, if not a stop button and be like, that's not what I thought. I mean, I, I, I've done a lot of pickup play at Bunny to Go Go where I run the dungeon, right? And people come in 
and they're like, hey, I'm looking for a top to do a thing. And I start finding out what they're looking for. And, you know, and then I try to introduce them to a top. And sometimes that top ends up being me, right? Sometimes the thing they're looking for, I can do and I say so. And sometimes I, I'm in the middle of a, a scene with them and I'm like, this is not going anywhere. I can't read this person. I can't find them in the scene we're sharing. I need to stop. I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one more thing I just want to make throw into this, this topic of negotiation. And I, I started thinking about it actually back during Shay's first story about the caning scene is I think it's important, you know, no matter how specific and, and different people, I think, have different opinions on how specifically they like to negotiate their scenes. And I think we all tend to get more specific when we're dealing with like a newer partner or like a newer scene. But I think no matter how specific we get, I think it's it's always a good idea to have the discussion around limits, right? Because I think that it's easier for people to a lot of times to keep that that stuff in their mind when they're going through the scene. It's like, this is a stuff that is not okay. So, you know, personally, like if I'm having any kind of a negotiation with somebody, you know, no matter how, because we had talked about like getting super specific when you're first for pickup play potentially. And I think that can be a really good idea. But I think even when you do that, it's still really important to make sure that you're covering limits as well. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you. I mean, which is why Shay's, uh, Shay and I's pull out the toys comment and then um, pull out five toys and then the rest we don't use. If you apply that in a larger sense, that that would really work also to um, limits as well. Just the idea of like, this is what we're using and where and what can't I do. Yeah, one of the one of the tools that Stefanos and I really like is negotiation forms. And some people hear that and they're like, oh, my God, like paperwork. Why? That's like terrible. And yeah, some people hear that and they're like, ooh, paperwork. Like some people are super into it. So you have to kind of know your audience. But in, uh, in my day job is that I'm a healthcare professional and we use checklists for everything because, you know, you, you're putting in a central line and you have the checklist of the guide wire was removed and sterile technique was used and et cetera, et cetera. And this might be a procedure that you've done thousands of times, but there's been, you know, lots of studies showing that checklists in a, the medical sense literally save lives because it's, it's a complicated procedure and it's hard to remember the 20 things on this list. So one of the things I used to do in terms of pickup play is we had a party in San Francisco, which was called Mystique, and it was a party for uh, femme dominance and those who wish to serve them, quote, that was the, the party text. And I would be the house dom and take, you know, I'd do a two hour shift and in 15 minute increments, I would schedule out and do just little taster scenes with people. And I would have a form that was very, very specific and very focused and would just like, you know, what are we doing of these activities, which would be like spanking or flogging or some clothespins? What do you want to be called? How much do you want to undress? Are marks okay? Yes or no? And having this, you know, one page, it was just like the front of one page, having this form and being very conservative about, you know, what I was going to do with new people. But paperwork can be incredibly helpful. Like I would have people in that context where we'd be playing and they're, you know, maybe blindfolded or they're facing against the cross and to be like, oh, wait, was this the person who, you know, really liked stingy or really only liked study? And I can look at my paper and be like, oh, okay, (laughs) now I remember, right? So I, I don't know. I love having negotiation forms, even if you don't give a form to your partner. And this can be from whatever perspective, from you know, someone who's bottoming, filling out a form, even if you aren't going to give that to the person who might be topping you, hopefully it gives you some more context and some uh, frame of reference for what you might want to communicate with them that maybe you wouldn't have thought of if you were just trying to remember cold 
okay, what do I want to tell someone? Um, I've known people who kept like a little business card that listed, you know, here's like the five things you need to know about me before we play. Like, these are the things I think are the most integral to knowing about, you know, playing with me. Like, you you know, don't touch any of the parts that are covered with my underwear because that will be triggering to me in this or that way. Like, and having that all really laid out ahead of time can be incredibly helpful because it's very hard to remember in the moment to you know, say everything that you wanted to say and to remember it all. You know, about forms, it reminds me of one really important thing. I do porn for a living and I do BDSM porn, right? Everybody fills out a checklist before we do it. And everybody involved on the set, including the production assistants, the camera people, everybody reads the form and signs it. There's a, there's a spot for those people who are touching each other and, and, and the spot for witnesses. And the reason why we do that is so that we can remind each other because in the moment sometimes, you know, things get going and there's been a number of times I've been on set and I have two models and I'm supposed to be, you know, the, the domly dom maestro Stefanos, the steward, and I'm supposed to be doing all these things. And I will literally forget which person I could not hit with the electric zapper. <laughs> like, it's like, we were just do, right. doing a bunch Cause of- there's somebody who loves it and somebody who doesn't want it at right. all. And, 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 and in right. that moment, cause I just met them, ten, you know, I just met them an hour ago or whatever. We're all talking and we're finally getting into the scene. And the good news is, is that those forms now were an instant reminder and I could just, you know, look and know. And so I realize that makes it sound less impersonal when I say I couldn't remember. But I, what I'm trying to point out is, is the same exact thing that Shay was talking about with healthcare and with other things is that even on a BDSM porn set, we use them where people think it seems to be so organic or that shit just happens, you know. And I'm like, no, it's, it, it, it's a checklist of what I can and can't do, um, you know, Although it's important to always remember with negotiation forms and checklists like that, that you know, consent is an ongoing process and limits can change as you're playing. Like ensuring ongoing consent is still incredibly important. And just because I checked yes to zappers on my form, if later on that's not working and I don't want them anymore, obviously it's super important to still monitor for ongoing consent, which is a whole separate you know, topic to some extent, but as far as pickup play, once you get to it and you start playing with someone, you want to make sure you follow that particular rule. Because if you plan on playing again, that's helpful. You know, and we want to, you know, we want to leave people better than we found them. We always want to, yeah, try to have the best experiences we can. I wanted to share a little story. And the reason why is because I, I, I kind of want to turn it over to talking about this just a little bit, which is we a long time ago, being Rigel and I played with somebody, it was her birthday party. And the person that uh, was supposed to play with her didn't show up. She got no show. And it was really sad. She was walking around with her little needle kit and uh, looking she, all sad and, and her and her little floggers and and looking all cute and sexy and sad. All the things that I, I appreciate. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we negotiated and we, we had seen her play before. We had mutual friends, things like that, but never really interacted very well. And the scene was amazing. Like, I mean, it was it was like I, if I had to go back and, and do like one of my top 20, it definitely made it into the top 20. Not sure about top 10, <laughs> but definitely one of the top 20 of the scenes that I've done. And it was it was really cool. And right after that, we hopped into a relationship, right? Like it was like, OK, so we played. It was awesome. Let's all date. Seems yeah. like a good idea. Seems like a good idea right. at the time. And so I, I, I want to like throw this out because I think for a lot of us, 
it's really easy to be like, yes, don't fuck somebody and then go out and get married in in Las Vegas tomorrow. Like, don't do that. Like, give yourself some time to like wean out of those like, oh, lobby-dobby feelings. But I also think that it's important to recognize that when we do pickup play, we go through the same thing that we do with any kind of play, which is endorphins, which can impact how we think and feel about people. And I'm curious what you suggest as far as like after pickup play, dealing with sort of that aftercare and not just from like the stand of the aftercare from the play, but those residual like, oh my gosh, now I'm in love with this person. I'm I'm in love with this person. It's the best person I've ever fucked in my life kind of situation. (laughs) There's science for this about how people connect when they have intense situations that occur. When we sometimes talk about this, we'll talk about there was some uh, studies that were done with uh, about how people kind of react after painful uh, stimulus, because a lot of what we do in kink involves like intense sensation, not always, but a lot of it does. There was a study where they had college students and uh, had them sorting marbles. So one group was sorting marbles as a team uh, with their hands in room temperature water. And one group was sorting marbles as a team with their hands in ice water. So, of course, after a little while, the ice water gets painful. There's some intense sensation associated with this. And what they found was that the students who were doing the ice water portion of this experiment, they felt more bonded to the students that they worked with. All of their senses were heightened. So after this experiment, you know, immediately after doing the marble sorting, they rated a chocolate biscuit as being tastier than the control group who had the room temperature water. They also were better at discerning tastes. So discerning between, you know, a lemon and a lime or whatever it was. So there was like a lot of, you know, physiological, which is like what you're talking about in terms of endorphins and that, you know, physiological response to play, I think is important to understand and kind of anticipate as well. But I mean, it's attempts to engineer an outcome, I think are really tricky. Like some of the most unsuccessful poly situations I've ever had have been when I like came into it with a predetermined idea of what I wanted this relationship to be and tried to fit the relationship and the people into that box instead of letting it develop organically. So I don't know. I mean, you can come in to pick up play and sometimes it can be unexpected in terms of what a, what a relationship develops out of it. And so there's like understanding that immediate physiological effect and trying to like, okay, I was just, you know, sorting marbles under ice water and like my, you know, hormones are a little bit out of whack right now. Right. Versus the connections. You know, sometimes you go into a scene and you're like, this is just going to be platonic and one time. And then we're never going to care about each other anymore. Like you can't necessarily control and engineer your emotions to have that exact outcome that you had planned on, which I think is important to understand about. Uh, humans in general, in my opinion. So this did happen at a camp on the East Coast. And I met a person and a year and a half had passed by. We had occasionally texted. We tried to play a couple times. Nothing ever nothing ever worked out. We didn't particularly feel really close. We just both knew we wanted to play. And so now camp shows up and we have the next five days together when we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we have a play scene and we really only end up playing once. Let's just be very clear in all those days. But the remainder of the days ended up being very emotional because you're at camp and that can happen. And as we went to walk off, I think the advice that we determined for each other was that it was perfectly okay to feel all these intense emotions that we were having and to express them to each other in even traditional terms of the words, I love you, or whatever came naturally from your mouth. 
but to realize that when camp ends, neither of us know what's going to happen because we live on opposite effing coasts. And we needed to acknowledge that we both had relationships that we'd be going back to, lives we'd be going back to. And we were able to, we're still friends. We're still together. We still play when we see each other. We still have intense emotions when we're together because we let those intense emotions come through. But we also know that we're not ever going to move into each other's house. I think that's kind of the important moral of the story because like this relationship Cassie was talking about, it was funny. It, it, uh, it was one of the worst. Well, it was the worst relationship that Rigel and I mutually had a partner with. And it turned out very poor. And I think for me, the, the biggest issue in all of that, and this was many, many years ago, was that because of those intense feelings and emotions and all the good fuzzies that everybody had after seeing, we didn't really do the legwork of like getting to know somebody. And I think it's really important, even if you have an amazing play experience, to have connections outside of that if you're looking to date, if you're looking to like move things forward to uh, recognize that sex and play and things like that can be an indicator of having compatibility in those areas, but not necessarily compatibilities in others. Well, right. And I like... I think we all have people probably that we play with that we wouldn't date. I have a number of those people that like I play with that like <laughs> I think we all know that a relationship would not work there. Right. Yeah. And I think that relates to the idea of uh, people talk in poly about the relationship escalator, right? Where there's this idea that you should progress up this, you know, you start out by, you know, maybe doing some pickup play and then you move into dating and then you, you know, become like partners and then blah, blah, you know, you go up this escalator. And I think it's super important to know that like, that's not going to be the trajectory of all relationships and to consider it a successful relationship. If that relationship is we play twice a year when we run into each other at events and it's awesome and it doesn't need to escalate from that. It can be just that and that can be amazing. Oh, yeah, I think it's definitely important when you're playing with somebody for the first time to like have a good plan for aftercare and the after aftercare, right? Like, are, are we checking in? Are we making sure that we're good? Like, what does that look like? And and what do we each need out of that? Um even if it is something that is a, a pickup play scene and our agreement is nothing, right? Even if the agreement is there's nothing afterwards, but to be able to have that 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 conversation. I think that we're going to start moving into the speed round here. Is there anything that you two would like to like to throw in that you think it's really important for people to know about pickup play that we haven't covered yet? I think we've mostly, we've touched on a whole lot of stuff, um, but I'd love to speed around for a few minutes and yeah, let's do it. Well, it's only a minute. The idea is a minute. So, oh, fabulous. Um, <laughs> so what the speed round is, is uh, I'm going to ask a question and because there's two of you, I'm going to go back and forth so you can decide amongst yourselves who's going first. And I'm going to ask a question. The first thing that comes to mind, the idea is to get through this as a team in in a minute. So 60 seconds or less. Okay. Got it. Uh, I'll go first. All right. What's something you're not very good at? I am not very good at single tailing. <laughs> All right. Stefanos, the best piece of relationship advice you've ever received. Go slow. What are three things you couldn't live without? 
my rope kit. That's a lot of things. So that's kind of cheating. My safety scissors and my negotiation forms. Stefanos, what turns you on? Everything but obedience. I'm a slut. Right. I'm a fucking <laughs> slut. It's, it's true. I love sluts. We are too. Um, okay. You can do dishes and turn me on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shay, tell me something that's true that nobody agrees with you on. Oh, that's true that nobody agrees with me on. I don't like butt stuff. What the heck? I Butt stuff is the worst. Hate it. Nothing. Exit only. But everybody seems, you know, into it. So bless them. That's fabulous for them. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. I'm sad now. Um, okay, so Stefanos. <laughs> Stefanos. I'm also sad. We're not doing good at the 60 second thing. A uh, book that you would recommend for our listeners. Come as you are. Okay. What's the biggest fear that you have, Shay? The biggest fear that I have is, I mean, gosh, in a broader sense, uh, in a in a play sense. I think, you know, not reading someone correctly and accidentally damaging someone or harming someone, a frame tips over, you know, they get nerve damage and I am responsible for that is a big fear that I have. All right. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? It could be sexual or non. That's for you, Stefanos. (laughs) (laughs) Swallowed knives. (laughs) Oh, wait, I fuck someone while I lit them on fire. That was pretty fucking scary and adventurous. Yeah, good. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) So, Shay, who is your movie movie slash TV star crush? Mm, My movie slash TV star crush. I would say these days that the soccer star Megan Repione. I don't know how to say uh, her name, but anyways, very very hot. I I can't I can't even. It's yeah. All right. I feel like. Stefanos, you kind of won this one. You got more of the easier <laughs> questions. Um, I, or at least I, was like, ones. I was like, did, did, are we done? I was, I was like, wait. Right. Um, so almost. we have one last question and both of you can a- answer that. But uh, what is something you're working on right now that uh, you'd like our listeners to know about, whether it's collectively or individually? Stefanos? We just got, we just got done with that book. We're working on chilling out. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Like we did just like I I just finished writing the tying and flying and we finally got that out there. It's only been a few months and that was this all consuming project. I thought I would never get it done. It was ridiculous. And Stefanos did photography and worked with me on it in a lot of ways. So we are kind of on a downslope right now trying to sort of chill out and promote that and uh not be quite as ridiculously overscheduled as we were. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean there was a there was a point when we were traveling like, you know, 70,000 miles a year doing conferences. And we uh, we used to throw 114 parties a year. Woo! I understand but needing a break rela- after that. Re- relaxation is definitely a plan. That can be something you are working on. Send love and buy the book. <laughs> so where, where can folks find you online if they want to find you? Okay, so Shay will say that I'm the worst at getting back to people on the internet. It's true, however. Um... I, I actually, you can you can use Facebook Messenger for Maestro Stefanos as a personal figure that's there. Um, I do I do get DMs on Twitter's. Fat Life is my nemesis. Message me on Fat Life, and someone else will probably type back for me. Uh, I, I discovered if you don't answer messages on Fat Life, it just puts a ninety nine plus. 
Yeah, he definitely and, uh, always has 99 plus on red messages. And I, like. I, I, I tried to get FetLife to reset my counter and just delete everything, and they said they couldn't. Uh, and uh, but they told me I had over over a thousand unread messages, and now I've I've answered the messages up to like a month ago. Hmm. And then they start, yeah, it's not so great. But we have a website, stefanosandshay.com is our main website. We also I have a ridiculous number of websites for someone who really doesn't like maintaining websites. Uh, but we have a performance event that's called twistedwindows.com, uh, and that's a event that we do locally in the Bay Area to kind of showcase kink performance, bondage performance. Uh, we do aerial. We do a whole bunch of other stuff. We have a bondage safety website, remedialropes.com. We have selfsuspend.com, which is, as it sounds, about self-suspension. Uh, and I, there's probably some other websites that I'm forgetting, but those are the ones I can think of right now. Well, send me a list and I'll put them in the show notes so people can find you. Fabulous. And, thank uh, you. Thank you two so much for joining us today. We've had a great time talking to you. Thank you so much for having us. It's been lovely to chat with you both. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask. Or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 